Moncrief on News Talk. Time once again to look uh, at uh, outside our borders. Jonathan de Burke Butler uh, is here to bring us some stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right. So Bolivia, we're going to go to first. Now, they're, they're the first, uh, they're the first South American country to cut ties with Israel, or the first country in the world. They're, to do they're it. actually the first country in the world to cut ties, uh, diplomatic ties with is- Israel over what it describes as aggressive and disproportionate military actions in Gaza. So, like a lot of countries. Uh, it called for a ceasefire, and it said interestingly that it would be supplying blockaded Gaza, the blockaded Gaza Strip with aid. Now, how they're going to do that, I'm not 100 percent sure, but presumably they won't be trying to, they won't be sending their navy to try and go through the blockade, uh, and they'll get it in through Egypt. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the deputy foreign minister uh, Freddie Mamani, he came out and he said that the government had taken the decision um, in condemnation of the aggressive and disproportionate Israeli military offensive taking place in the Gaza Strip um, and he asked for the blockade to be to be removed as well. Mm. So, now, yeah. Bolivia have done this before though. They have, yeah. yeah. So when the last time, or one of the last times that this happened, when was it the end of 2008, the beginning of 2009? Yeah. There was like a, a spell over the Christmas where um, there was a, an Israeli-Gaza war effectively. Again, Hamas were involved. I think about 1,500 Gazans were killed in that uh, and 13 IDF lost their lives as well. Um, and so Eva Morales, somewhat unsurprisingly, broke off uh, diplomatic relations with them then. And they were only restored back in 2019. So it took a good 10 years. Mm. And I'd imagine that the restoration of these diplomatic ties could take even longer, uh, to be honest. But, yeah. Uh, we'll and, see how it goes. and what was Israel's reaction to this? Or did they it was very, Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were very strong. Um, they said that the move was a surrender to terrorism and uh, they accused the Bolivian government of aligning itself with Hamas. Okay. Um, so that's what they said. Is there any evidence that Bolivia has done that? Aligned with Hamas? Yeah. Uh, I think I can't answer that question. <laughs> yes, I don't, well, I don't think that they've made any, as far as I know, any public statement about Hamas or, or expressed any support for Hamas. No, they haven't. Yeah, uh, not at all. Yeah, uh, right. Iceland. Uh, we're going to go to uh, next, and sea lice. Ew. Uh, now, the, the sea lice. What do they affect? People or, or creatures in the sea? Creatures in the sea. Right. Okay. Uh, now, I, I had a look at them. They're now they're crustaceans, and like most crustaceans, crustaceans, they're pretty ugly. But these are particularly ugly little things, mm. uh, little aliens, basically. And what these do is they attach themselves to the salmon, to the skin of the salmon. And like most good parasites, they feed off that, right? Except in this case, it ends up opening up wounds in the salmon. Bacteria get into those wounds and it eventually it can kill the salmon. Okay, now, yeah. like all wildlife for human beings, when these salmon are in close close contact with each other, as these are, because they're in these big pens, uh, up in the northwest of Iceland, uh, the sea lice are able to spread. And so the two companies that own some of these open pens, uh, fish farms effectively, uh, yeah. Arctic Fish and Arnalax, uh, have decided that they're going to cull the fish that are involved. So they're going to make an awful, uh, they're going to lose an awful lot of money yeah. and an awful lot of fish. So we think that about a million salmon will be will be killed as a result of this and they can't obviously be passed on for human consumption. They will be turned into animal feed so they might make a little bit of money out of it but it doesn't look good for these uh, for this industry up there and it is relatively new it should be said mm. in Iceland. 
Um, but it's part, it's, it's, it's a problem with, with fish farms and particularly with salmon fish farms. Apparently this salmon, particular salmon lice is like the scourge of this particular industry. And when they, when they get into the system, they're very difficult to get yeah. rid of. Uh, and the, like uh, the, the salmon farming industry in Iceland, is it relatively good or have they been having a hard time in general? So uh, up until 2021, there was no salmon sea lice and uh, in, in their pens, right? And they, it was something that they could brag about uh, because, you know, it, it had happened quite a the, the biggest... I think the biggest players in the industry are Norway, Scotland and Chile. I mm. might be wrong on the last one, okay. but anyway. Um, but they have they have been beset with problems over the years, you know, around yeah. this salmon lice. And the other problem for Iceland is that back in August, there was a seemingly a breakout from one of these pens. About huh. 4,000 salmon fish, sorry, salmon escaped and they've got into the river systems now. So some of those are being caught uh, in fact, I think they've been caught in 32 rivers across Iceland uh, and one of them was found with, uh, with uh, sea lice. So oh, now there's worries right. okay. that it will infest uh, <coughs> and infect the uh, wild salmon in the region as well, which would be awful. Uh, right, South Korea we're going to go to uh, next. A novel approach for dealing with rush hour on the metro. Yeah, absolutely. So Seoul's subway is one of the busiest in the world. Uh, I believe it's it's the number one busiest uh, metro system in the world or subway system in the world. And wow. Okay. If we, I had a, a little dig into it because I wanted to compare it to one that maybe a lot of people know, which is London. Hmm. And London doesn't even make the top 10 uh, for busyness, apparently. Right. So there's most of them are in Asia. And then you've got New York, Mexico and Moscow are in the, uh, the other ones that make up the top 10. Hmm. I think people would have seen pictures of like in Japan, they employ people to push you into Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And it's similar in, in South Korea. In South Korea, they've actually got a name for rush hour riding on the metro, which is Jokchol, which means subway hell. Uh, so basically, <laughs> see you later, guys. I'm going for a bit of Jokchol now on my way home. So what they've decided, what uh, Seoul Metro uh, have decided to do is they're going to remove seats from two of the carriages. So it's an experiment. They've got nine lines there in total, right? Mm. And on line four and seven, they have decided that during rush hour, they're going to attach two uh, two carriages and they're going to remove all the seats and they reckon that will reduce the uh, congestion levels which are very high so uh, on line 7 for example we'll just do one example the congestion has reached 193.4% uh, when they issue figures like that but anyway it's very congested uh, and they're going to reduce that now by 40% uh, by removing these seats or at least that's the hope mm. and if it's successful they'll look at doing it across all nine lines and then hopefully that will relieve some okay. of the, uh, the problems. Putting on train, more trains wouldn't be, is out of the question, I suppose. That <laughs> well, way, in might fact, be uh, this Monday, they decided to put on two more trains on both of these lines uh, on starting on Monday. So they're, they're looking at a few different measures, yeah. but at least it's a problem that they have. It might yes. be a problem that our <laughs> great-grandchildren will have. Uh, but right. They have uh, right, Germany we're going to go to, or, or at least uh, the German president has apologised. This is a constant increasing uh, trend where we see uh, world leaders apologise uh, for past wrongs. Now, this is said uh, to do with Tanzania. Tanzania, yeah, absolutely, which uh, was part of Germany, East Africa. Okay, mm. so brief, very brief history. Germany, East Africa existed from 1885 until the end of the 
First World War, okay, for obvious reasons, all right? And then Germany lost all its colonies in Africa and it was given over to mm. the British, the French, the Belgians and whoever else had beaten them in the First World War. So one of the countries in Germany, East Africa, was, of course, Tanzania. And when Germany was there, there was a rebellion called the Maji Maji Rebellion from 1905 to 1907. And approximately 300,000 native Tanzanians were killed or starved out of it during that particular rebellion, mm. something we never hear about really. Yeah, okay? yeah. So anyway, on a visit to Tanzania, the president of Germany, Frank Walter Steinmeier, uh, vowed to seek answers to questions regarding the German East Africa era. He apologised, uh, wanted to pay his respects to the victims of the German colonial rule. And uh, as I said, he has promised to look into, um, you know, any war crimes, although they weren't called that back then, That and, and anything that has... It still affects people in Tanzania hmm. to this day. Yeah. Um, and is that it? Like SARS? Uh, or or, or yeah. can, can this be taken further so, to any degree? So this, this, is what, this is what's interesting <laughs> about this particular story, right? So there's two strands. Back in 2017, the government of Tanzania back then said that they were considering legal action to seek compensation from the German government. Now, we know that in the meantime, because we've spoken about it, Germany has agreed a deal with Namibia yeah, to give them yeah. some sort of compensation. Now, that deal has not been signed off on yet. I think it was done in, 20, there was an apology issue in 2021 and they said, okay, what we'll do is we'll give you some funding to pay for some local projects. Now, a lot of people in Namibia weren't particularly happy about that because they're saying, no, we don't want you to pay funding for projects that you deem are okay. Mm. We want the cash and we'll decide what to do with it. We're not having some yes. white Europeans telling us <laughs> what to do. You've been doing that for long yeah, enough. Read the room, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, there is a possibility, to answer your question, there is a possibility that this could go further uh, down the line of, of reparations. Um, and as you say, it is an increasing trend. I mean, we were only talking the other day mm. about Kenya and the British paying out a number of years ago. And I, I, I wonder what the end game here is with, you know, with the Europeans and, you know, all their apologies. I mean, are they apologising now because they see the Chinese coming in and giving money and they're worried about, you know, those connections breaking down or, or mm, what yeah. is it? Well, you know? you'd wonder which audience are they playing exactly. to a home audience yeah. really yeah. rather yeah. than oh, necessarily the audience in that country. Right, uh, Switzerland we're going to go to uh, finally and a bit of a row over cowbells. A little bit of a one. This is in a town called Arvangen, a population of about 5,000 people. Classic uh, uh, Swiss village, mm-hmm. charming little village on a river. Uh, medieval castle, all that kind of thing. And it has farms, obviously, outside with cows that still have these cowbells attached to them, even though they're not required, right? Right. One thing about this particular town is that it's not particularly far from uh, the more populated um, cities, Bern, Zurich and Basel. So an awful lot of people use it as a commuter town, okay? And they go into the city, make their money. They come out for peace and quiet. Mm. But in recent months, uh, some newer residents have found that the peace and quiet that they had hoped for wasn't exactly there. So two families made a complaint to the mayor of Arvangen about the noise that was being generated from these cowbells. That then went to the relevant farmers and, of course, the farmers who had most of the natives on their side Mm. decided that they would push back against these families. And in classic Swiss style, they've decided to get the locals together. They've come up with a petition. (laughs) They got their thousand signatures and now it's going to go to City Hall to basically 
you know, uh, protect this particular cultural element that if you want to have a cowbell around your cow, it will never be taken away from you and no doubt it will yeah. go to some referendum in the is, Swiss constitution. Is it like just a tradition having the cowbell or is there a, does well, it, it have a, fun- a function? It nowadays? did have a function, obviously, when they were wandering up the hills and, 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 it, was, and mm. it was difficult to find them. And, you know, the, the farmers would say, oh, I recognise that's Daisy because of the tone of that bell. Ah, right, OK. Ones. But now they're, they're all microchipped and you can, yeah. you know, find them on, a, find them on an app. Um, so they're not necessary, and some farmers have removed them, you know, because they're thinking of their neighbours sleeping at night. Yeah, uh, but they're not necessary. So these mm. farmers are being maybe a little bit stubborn. I don't know anyone in rural Ireland would know if you live near, you know, a, a, a herd of cows, they moo. They do. Uh, they they're make like noise, first yeah. thing in the morning. They're extremely noisy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, You'd rather be in the middle of a city because that's really noisy and then no one's, you know, they they start moving when they feel like it. And the fact that there was kind of outsiders who who, were these uh, outsiders from that village or were they non-Swiss people? Yeah, well, that's that's a good question. I don't know. They were outsiders from outside of the village, certainly, but I don't know whether they were foreigners. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I I know what you're driving at. And and indeed, some people, or there was some commentary on it that has, has suggested that this story and things like this are part of a backlash against the 25% immigration rate there or, you know, the population, mm. 25% of the Swiss population there are non-Swiss. Yeah. And there's a lot of people there that aren't particularly happy about it and that showed up in recent elections. Where the Swiss People's Party became the, the biggest party in the most recent election there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Some people Interesting trying to one. Uh, you know, equate the two. Yeah. Especially in a country like Switzerland, where basically it's like four ethnicities that came together. Yeah, you yeah know, true. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting one. Right, so what should we look out for over in the next week or so, John? Yeah, coming up uh, tomorrow, um, you know those little things that you see on the ground that look like silver bullets? Yeah. The laughing gas. Mm. Yeah, people inhale it to get high. Yeah. Cut a long story short. That's being banned in the UK tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and uh, repeat serious users could face up to two years in prison and dealers could face up to 14 years in prison. So it's interesting okay. little war on laughing gas there from the government. Uh, the following day then, the lit- literary event of the year, Colleen Rooney's tell-all, Wag at the Christie memoir will be released. <laughs> She's making uh, that cow. Oh, she that. really is, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, then on Sunday, the Diwali festival uh, will be celebrated across the world. Okay, fantastic stuff. Thanks, Thanks a million sure. as ever, Jonathan de Burke, but Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.